right. Selma Midtown, welcome back to our podcast. I'm here with Hannah Anderson as usual, and we are here to talk about kindness today. Um, something that both of us admittedly uh, struggle with, but also I think we could say probably one of the big struggles of the church in our moment in terms of how people perceive us as kindness. I feel like every weekend I'm like, oh, this is the one. And then I get to this one. I'm like, no, I think this is actually the one. Yeah, this has been a really good series um, for me personally, um, just having the space to reflect and give attention to things that I think I tend to think more at a distance from, but then to say, no, let me bring this in. Let me kind of think about this um, in my own life. And even this week with kindness, um, yeah, I, I think I do struggle with this more than I recognize. Like, I don't think of myself as an unkind person, but I also don't know that I'd be a proactively kind person. And there's a difference there. Um, but, but I long to be, and I recognize it when I see it in other people and I recognize it when I see it, um, in books or, you know, um, you know, I think of Mr. Rogers, like you see it and you know it, but it kind of triggered for me, um, this, this book I've just, uh, gotten in the last couple of weeks and maybe you've heard of it. It's the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse. Mm, Love Um, that book. I got it as a a birthday gift or something last year. It's awesome. Charlie Maxey. Mm. And um, it's a really gentle book. It reminds me a lot of um, maybe like A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh or uh, The Little Prince, if folks know that. But on one of the pages, it's illustrations, pen and ink illustrations. It's very gentle and and calm. But in one of the um, pages, the boy is talking to the mole and the mole asked him, what do you want to be when you grow up? Kind, said the boy. And that really stopped me when I saw it, you know, initially. It was just had this, it communicated so much in, in so little space, so few words. But I don't know that I would have ever said being kind was a goal mm. of my life. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember reading that and just tearing up reading that book, thinking about it. There is like a simplicity and a beauty to the, it's like subversive that book. It's so gentle that it's like, this feels like at the same time, totally inauthentic and like something I want to mock <laughs> and something that is like beautiful and strange from another world that I want to embrace, you know? And like, uh, even might be a question to ask, the church, like, what do you want to be church when you grow up? And I doubt the church and many of us would say kind, but it's it's disarming and it, it forces you to kind of let down your guard and in a harsh world, that's hard to do. And I found that for myself, that some of the biggest hurdles um, is exactly this tension as you presented it in the sermon, kindness in a time of harshness. And when the world is so harsh around you, an invitation to kind of let down your guardedness and the hardness with which you've protected yourself and to move into a space of kindness, that feels a little risky to me. It feels a little dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think it's really significant that the most powerful being in the universe is marked as being kind. Mm. Um, And that you know, the kindness of God 
is so central to his character and so central to how he works in the world and within us mm. as well. Yeah. I think that's one of the things in studying scripture, you know, we're, we're kind of just doing like a, a zoom out high level look at who God is each week and contrasting that with life in an increasingly secularizing age and the impact that's at, that's had on the church as um, as we find ourselves in the midst of this being formed uh, and being pulled in different directions. Um, that, that one of the staggering things is to really step back and to see how, how much God talks about his own kindness as central to who he is. And, and he's presented as this father who has the heart, uh, who has this kind heart and over and over and over again is, is kind to people kind to both the righteous and the unrighteous, uh, the just and the unjust, as Jesus says in Luke six, but that's not the picture that, you know, if you read atheists for sure and agnostics to Richard Dawkins, uh, you know, I think of um, different quotes where he's talked about God as just this bloodthirsty, malevolent being who's the opposite, who's unkind, who is harsh. Um, certainly not how a lot of our culture and the research shows that people increasingly over the last five, six, seven years have grown to see the church and to see Christians as harsh, cruel, unkind. But you know, this is, this is our calling. Our invitation is to be a people of kindness who reflect the, the kindness of God. Um, and, and that is, it's kind of core to our identity. Um, but also as a matter of even our, our witness and our fruitfulness in the world, right. Our wholeness. And then the wholeness we're inviting others into th that God's kindness is what leads to repentance. God's kindness is the, is the method even that leads to to uh, real transformation. Um, and so I think this is a real struggle, but there's, there's some real um, potential in terms of uh, the future of the church in the world. Yes. And, and it's one of those times too, where there's such a longing for kindness um, in society around us. And it seems to me like it's one of the few culturally acceptable virtues right now. Mm. And you know, as you mentioned on Sunday, there's this contrast to what we see the church actually operating in in the last few years and how they're perceived um, as a harsh, judgmental space um, and the longing that the culture at large is um, asking for. And it would be very easy for us to say, well, the culture wants that, therefore, it must not be of God, you know, like because that's a desire, this kind of kindness is um being asked for and mm -hmm. and but i also think of the passage uh where where jesus is in his ministry and he talks about um, the children of the world being wiser than children of god and that there is a time there can be this time where the kind of value systems get flipped where even though we see the desire and the longing for kindness emerging maybe out of secular culture just the fact that the church has become a place of a lack of kindness or harshness doesn't mean that's what God intends. And, mm. and maybe there's a, a time or an opportunity to really listen and to consider whether um, the children of the world are wiser in this po point, at least in the desire for this virtue. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't, I don't really see a groundswell desire for kindness um, at least in our public testimony within the evangelical church. Mm. Yeah. So when we think about kindness, yeah, to your point there, I think defining kindness is really important, you know, mm -hmm. so kindness, 
we talked about is a couple different words. Uh, you know, when you look at how it's used in scripture, the, the covenant love or the kindness, the Hesed of God in the old Testament is key there. Um, that word can also be translated goodness, you know, um, but it's definitely like an active action flowing out of a kind heart that seeks to bless others. Um, one of my favorite definitions is just like, it's this combination of a firm center. So there's conviction and, and like a, a sense of, I know what I believe. Um, and, and, and yet soft edges, um, so firm center, soft edges. And, um, and so we think about maybe like the, the two ditches, if you want to call it that, if this is like a third way, the two ditches, one would be niceness, Mm -hmm. um, which has, you know, kind of soft center and soft edges. And one would be harshness or cruelty, which has a firm center and firm edges. So talk through, you know, some of the challenges there, um, because we're not talking about a niceness that lacks conviction. And yet I think that's one of the real, um, fears that people have with, with kindness is that it feels weak. It it, it feels vulnerable and maybe it feels like we're, we're selling out. Um, and so I think, you know, Dallas Willard once was asked the question, why are Christians so mean? And he said, I think they're so concerned about being right, that it's hard for them to be kind and be right. Um, so talk about those ditches and some of the challenges with niceness and with, with, I think we all know like harshness is a problem, but maybe we don't think much much about niceness being uh, an equally dangerous problem. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what you're setting up goes back to the point that if our culture is longing for something, if people in their Imago day, you know, that we have retained know that kindness is a good thing. That doesn't necessarily mean we know what it looks like or we know how to achieve it. And we'll very easily opt for kind of counterfeit gods or counterfeit expressions of a virtue that our heart is longing for just because we are we are created to long after God. And so we'll long after kindness, but we'll settle for niceness. And I think that, you know, goes to the point that we don't know how to define these virtues apart from God's own nature and character and the scripture. And so one of the dangers of niceness is just that um, superficiality that is content with a kind of live and let live and tolerance. And we don't want to make waves and a passivity where kindness is much um more intentional and it works harder and it's actually seeking to bless the other person versus just to tolerate them. And I think that kind of niceness has a neutrality to it that doesn't actually better people or help them along, especially if we're thinking of kindness as what fills in where patients creates a gap that fills in and provides the um, the opportunity for God to display his character, for his kindness to pull and draw us to himself. And we're operating in those ways. It's very intentional and it's very active. Um, whereas niceness could just be apathetic by tolerating you and not actively trying to bless enemies or trying to actively engage um, with people in a way that's going to better their lives. Um, So I think that's definitely one of the dangers of longing for kindness, but not defining it correctly and, and substituting niceness for kindness. But as you mentioned, on the other side, we also have this, well, I'm going to reject niceness Like, I don't want that superficial 
superficial tolerance. So I can just act in any way I want to act then. Mm. And if you think I'm mean, well, you just don't like my tone. You know, I've heard that a lot in the last, you know, four or five years. Like, it's just a question of tone. You're uncomfortable with a harsh tone. And I'm like, actually, I'm just uncomfortable with harshness. And the way you speak and the words you use all, it's like medium and message. It's all bound up in itself. And there's no separating out tone as if it existed apart from the harshness with which it's communicated. Do you think some of that is just tied to, like as you know more and more of this discourse is being mediated through digital space through online you know platforms and things has that somewhat contributed to um this the the tone issues you know it's just kind of like i feel like i can get online and and have a certain persona and and this is just kind of the rules of the game this is this is pay to play when it gets when it comes to how we're supposed to interact online you know and so yeah, i think that, and the irony is, I think it's also contributed to the rise of superficiality. So I think you see both the increased harshness and the increased niceness. Mm-hmm. So if you've spent any time, I don't know how much time, Brandon, you spend in female spaces <laughs> online. <laughs> Not a lot. Like, this is your <laughs> hidden world, right? Yeah. So, but if you're in female dominant spaces, there's an awful lot of niceness Mm. that is somewhat detached and it isn't kindness. Mm. And so I've found it interesting that the disembodied nature of our communication allows for both. And I think what is happening in both cases is that we're not present with people. We're Mm -hmm. not, um, moderating we're not receiving the feedback from them and we're not moderating based on the messaging that's being exchanged whether it's body language or um, an instantaneous reaction when you say something unkind and someone's face shows that it's hit them a certain way but i would also say i'm not sure it created it i think it's facilitating it and it's allowing us to do and be what we're already tempted to do and be. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's removed the kind of boundaries that would keep us from um, both harshness and superficiality. And it's just allowed us to go um, much more quickly toward the things that we are bent toward to begin with. Yeah. So you can kind of be online thinking of niceness and you can like somebody's post and think, oh, I've been kind to them today. Right, exactly. Um, but it's not really cost you anything except a, a quick click of that heart right. button on their Instagram Look how post. Generous I am. <laughs> yeah, you know, with my with my likes and my clicks, but not. I, I didn't really have to actually show up for them and do anything um, kind towards them that might cost me something. Or, or are we doing that to the people that you know we don't care for, who differ from us? Like we're we're in our spaces with people who think like us, you know, share our same views, and so the kindness is kind of reciprocated only towards those who are in our kind of bubble, right? So you said something really significant there. It doesn't cost us anything. And I think um, that may be more profound than you even realize, Brandon, because there's no cost to the niceness, but there's also no cost to the harshness. And if you are harsh like that with people in real life, there would be a real life cost to it. Um, You would have to pay the penalty for doing that to people in person. And I think online, you don't have to pay that cost either way. 
and both are rewarded. So there is a reward for superficial niceness and there is a reward for harshness because you kind of get your set of trolls around you that are egging you on and neither one comes at a cost. Mm. Is some of this, um, so speaking of kind of feminine spaces, female spaces, um, which admittedly I don't traffic in as much, um, but I'm thinking of just some of the even like gender stereotypes around kindness and niceness maybe one trope would be like, Oh, women are nice and men are expected to be harsh. Um, you know, this is, is some of the fear of kindness. Uh, I think I know the answer for men, you know, uh, for a lot of men, it's like, well, that's a feminine trait, you know, but I think it's a struggle for women as well. You know, um, like, I don't want to be that kind of woman, maybe who is nice. I've got to be tough or I've been maybe wounded. And so to be kind is to be weak or to be vulnerable, to be powerless, you know, how does, some of the gender issues play into this Mm -hmm. in terms of how we think about kindness in our cultural moment. Right, and whenever we talk about like class traits, we wanna acknowledge that we're we're zooming out at like 30,000 feet and we're looking for patterns and there are plenty of individual people, both men and women who don't fit within their class traits, but we're just talking about kind of prevailing patterns within groups. Um, And what I've seen, especially even over the last four or five years, is this increase in harshness has been accompanied by an increase in misogyny. So there is a culture that is increasingly tolerant of aggressive behavior by men. And I would say that's more within conservative spaces. Um, But there is um, this link between saying that's what real manhood is. Mm. Real manhood is brusque. And if you can't handle that, you must not like men. You must be, you know, one of those feminazis who want to emasculate men because you just don't like their tone. So there's definitely that kind of rhetoric that has made this gendered where women are soft and kind, and they are the ones who bring this gentleness to the world that is to balance the male aggression and harshness. Um, and together, the yin and yang and it all, we uh, you know reach equilibrium. But obviously, if the scripture is telling us that kindness is a fruit of the spirit, this isn't gendered. It may be embodied differently. Mm-hmm. But we can't separate out and say, you know, men get a pass for not being kind. And Um, and at the same time, I think, too, if you accept those categories, I think what you've seen somewhat of, too, is a temptation for women to say, well, if if I'm going to be equal to a man, then I have to embody that harshness myself. And, and, And so even accepting that those categories and then saying, okay, to level the playing field, maybe I've got I feel this pressure to be harsh to be rougher, um, Mm -hmm. to, to not be kind because I don't want to fall into that stereotype. And so an extent you've created a false binary that then, you know, um, becomes like a a rush to the, maybe to the bottom, to the top, but a rush to the bottom in terms of who can be harshest and uh, maybe feeling pressure to do that. And, And it's a very hard thing to resist in a culture and climate that almost demands it of you. Like if you're going to make it in certain spaces, you do have to have uh, what do they say, a thicker skin. And what they mean is harden up, um, be more comfortable with harshness. And 
you know, there's a difference between being able to receive criticism and to evaluate it and take it in and developing such a thick hide that you are just harsh and nothing can penetrate you. I mean, I think that's a real danger in an environment um, that demands a certain level of, because the environment is harsh, Mm -hmm. the only way you survive it is to become harsh yourself. Yeah, that's really good. And I think paying attention to our environments, you know, our our formative environments is a really important part of being able to see how we're not operating in kindness and how it, cause it's learned, you know, it's learned. I mean, I think obviously there's an intrinsic nature to sin that is harsh, you know, that is demonic. And so of course that's already there in our hearts and is easily drawn out. Um, it's not something we have to reflect on or think hard about, you know, like I thought I'd use the illustration of my kids. One kid throws a cotton ball, another throws a brick. Or I remember when they were little, like we had a biter, and we were always just like, where did they learn? Like, they didn't learn that from us. Like, when was the last time I got mad at Emily and just bitter? Like, it just doesn't, doesn't happen, you know? So there's, <laughs> if you have enough children, you know, this is, this is a, both an intrinsic trait, but it's also something that's learned. And we learn specific ways to be unkind. We, we learn certain responses that become automatic, I guess, you know, and, and we don't have to think about them. And then we carry those whether we're being formed in the business space or they're being formed in a university setting or being formed in our families of origin. And unfortunately in our churches, you know, we're, we're learning ways of being unkind and ways of being harsh and defensive and cruel that we, we carry with us. And we just then begin to assume is normal. And I think paying attention yeah. to those is a really important part of un, unlearning and relearning. And, you know, to be fair to the conversation, I think some of this is a survival mechanism. Yeah. It's a way that we survive a world that is under the curse and exists in harshness. And whether that is, you know, human communities or even the natural world around us, because as much as I love, you know, looking to creation and seeing the glory of God displayed there, um, the attributes of God just on display for us, it's also fallen. And the creation really does exist on this survival of the fittest impulse. And, and it's, it's fascinating because when the scripture talks about the kindness of God, um, I think of like Psalm 136, where it has just that repetition, every verse, um, the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever, the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. Um, the, the kind of categories it uses is God made the world and sustains it what more proof do you need that God is a kind God? Mm. And that's the argument is like, look at creation, see his kindness on display. You get to exist and he feeds you and he provides for you and he sustains his creation. But the tension of that is this very same creation that God has given to us out of his kindness has been corrupted. And a lot of the impulses within the natural world are very harsh. And I think it's very easy for us if we look at creation to see the harshness and assume that that's normative. And, and I've seen that kind of slip in some discussions about natural law or what we can learn from creation. I've seen folks say, well, the animals do this, therefore it's okay for human beings to do this. Like there's this, this 
competition within the animal kingdom and your biggest dog wins and you've got to be the top of the pack. And so that legitimizes our harshness to each other because they're looking at the creation under the fall. And they're seeing this survival of the fittest um, impulse. And that leads us to justify our own impulses toward survival and harshness. Mm. Yeah, I think of another place, um, similarly, Acts 14, you know, where Paul is, is going into these cities uh, full of uh, pagans uh, in the Roman Empire, these big cities, and he's, and he's talking about God's kindness to them as a bridge um, to, um, to kind of uh, the gospel and, and, and to the movement of the church. And, and he, he says in Acts 14, he, he did what is kind by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and filling your hearts with joy. So like food, wine, the basics of things that we take for granted are, are, are evidences of God's kindness. And so the trick is, you know, what are you paying attention to, I guess, right? Like, what are Absolutely. you seeing and what do you, what does your attention go towards? And the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that God is more or less kind. It's, it's our recognition of God's kindness, our willingness to thank him uh, and to be grateful for that. And to live with that is maybe just a frame of reference that then kind of gives us very practical embodied ways that we can be kind to one another, right? We don't have to like invent these things. They're they're God says, these are the ways I'm kind to you. So be kind to others in the same kinds of ways. Right. And I think what you mentioned in a sermon on Sunday about how we imagine God is really at the root of this, because if you look at creation and you come away with, wow, this is a rough place. This is harsh. I got to take care of myself. I've got to survive. I've got to keep the people I love alive. That's going to give you um, permission to just be terrible and to treat other people with harshness. But if you look at the creation and you see the provision of God and you see that this kind creator has offered this up. This is exactly what, you know, Paul is arguing in Acts 14. Like, how can you not see all of this goodness that has come to you and it not draw you to a God who is good? And so it comes back again, as you mentioned, to what are you observing? What are you giving your attention to? And how are you interpreting that? How do you look at the creation and are you overwhelmed by the harshness and you've factored out a creator or can you see a creator? And that then gives meaning and significance to even your experience of the brokenness. Yeah. So it's what story are we living in and how is that framing our, our identity and our calling in the world, right? Do we see the world as harsh and cruel and chaotic ultimately, right? It is, but is that the, is that the final word or is it a, is it a world full of both chaos and cruelty, but also kindness and not, they're not like symmetrical. They're not even right. Like mm -hmm. the, the kindness, I think of Romans uh, 12, where he says, uh, overcome evil with good. Mm -hmm. We live in a world in which God is overcoming evil with good and with kindness and with gentleness. Um, and that is, that is the frame of reference. That's the story that we live in. And so how do we allow that? Because I think, you know, one of the things I didn't talk about Sunday and you, you brought this up as we were talking about this episode is we have internalized harshness. And I think even more than being harsh towards others, we are harsh towards ourselves. And so one of the ways to see how we might heal that 
in us is to begin to recognize even the ways that we show contempt to ourselves and we're unkind to ourselves, right? Because that's, if that's the story that we're living in, it makes sense that that would then frame up how we even uh, talk to ourselves, treat ourselves, think about ourselves in terms of our identity and our reflection on that, right? Right. And the baseline for that um, really is treating ourselves the way God treats us. And so often you'll hear all this, these bug words about being kind to yourself or giving yourself permission or all this kind of thing. And, you know, as a Christian and as a person who, you know, maybe tends to be a little more contemptuous of myself, um, the, the check for me, the balance for me is not just be kinder to yourself, Hannah, but how does God view me? Mm-hmm. How does he treat me? And then to align myself with his assessment of me, both in his, um, you know, kindness and also with his judgment of my actions and speaking truthfully about what I'm doing, but also recognizing that God is much kinder to us than we are to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's been, it's part of that package is when we view God as a harsh God and we are contemptuous of us as his created being, like we're treating his creature contemptuously. It will only be one more step that we treat all of his other creatures contemptuously. Mm. Like you cannot have um, a hatred of self and that not spill over into how you treat other people. Yeah, that's really good. So, so for some like me, I'm the opposite of you. Uh, I'm not, I'm actually overly kind to myself. I tend to give myself the benefit of the doubt. I don't have that strong inner critic that others uh, carry. And um, so when I think about Jesus words, love your neighbors yourself, it's like, okay, treat others as I treat myself for you. It might be love your neighbor as God loves you is he's kind to you. Then then you are able to, as you learn to be kind to yourself, you're able to, because God is kind to you and you see the ways that God has forgiven you, that he's been patient with you, that he continues to bless you and seek your good. You're then able to be curious and open and and kind uh, towards others as you're learning that internal rhythm in your own life. Um, It just strikes me as like, this is the work of the church. This is why we need community. We've talked about the, the wholeness um, that the fruit of the spirit invites us into, it really is something that we need like daily and weekly, uh, reps at like strengthening this muscle of kindness. You know, and I think of the church and the possibilities of the future church as an incubator for learning kindness. Mm-hmm. I, so I don't know about you, but I, I, I see so much opportunity and so much necessity of the church recapturing this kind of vocation in a sense of, of kindness together, right? Because without it, we're, we're locked into um, just these two bad options of niceness, forced superficial niceness and kind of a harshness, a reactive harshness on the other hand. Right. And I think it comes back to um, how we have learned to encourage each other in the gospel or to remind each other of the truth of who God is. And we have that category established in our kind of communal relationships where we're, we're spurring each other onto good works and we're reminding each other of the gospel. But I wonder if we just need to take kindness and put it in that definition to say one of the good works that you're to spur each other onto Mm -hmm. is the acts of kindness and and not just necessarily outward, 
um, but reminding each other that God is kind, um, giving each other margin and space to be kind to ourselves and to be kind to others, to recognize when someone maybe is acting out of harshness, that those roots are deeper than they're mm. just a bad person. Mm-hmm. But there's perhaps a level of harshness that they feel and they mm-hmm. live under judgment and they feel that God is harsh with them and helping correct that with each other. This really is a group project. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing we have to say to each other. Remember God is kind. And I think back again to Psalm 136, this was a hymn mm-hmm. that, you know, was sung in the in Israelite worship was over and over again saying the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever and letting that be part of our culture and our conversation with each other. Which makes sense uh, that that would be so necessary uh, when you have a group of people who lived for 400 years in slavery, mm-hmm. you know, um, again, in Exodus, when Moses begins to preach to them, it says they can't listen because their spirits were crushed and oppressed and they were brokenhearted, literally. Mm-hmm. And so right. the more trauma we've experienced, the more uh, unkindness and harshness has been kind of our primary experience in the world the more we need to turn up the volume on kindness as a community. And I think that is really the invitation for the church in this moment is of course um, we need to call people to repentance. Of course we need to call people to, to change and to believe the gospel. Uh, but what, what are we going to emphasize? You know, sometimes the emphasis is on the wrong syllable <laughs> and, uh, and we need to, I think, just turn up the volume on this reality that God is kind and that he's, we live in that story of his kindness and that is overcoming evil in the world. And that is creating the space for repentance to happen. And the more um, we embody that, the more persuasive, the more winsome and more beautiful um, uh, the church becomes in a moment where there is so much harshness. Mm -hmm. We have our work cut out for us. We do. And I do want to come back around to um, that book uh, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, and, and the mm. quote from that book, because one thing that strikes me is the question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, kind. But what captures my mind is that the growing up part, mm. that kindness is maturity. Mm-hmm. And it's out of this kind of maturing, growing up into Christ that the kindness emerges too, and that this isn't something for children. And if we're struggling with it, you know, it is a signal that we have some growing to do. Mm, That's so good. Well, hey, would you pray for us and pray for our community as we uh, seek to grow up into the kindness of God together? Sure. Heavenly Father, you are such a kind God, and we forget that so easily. The harshness and the trauma the rigor of life on this earth so blinds us to your kindness. We ask that your kindness would penetrate our souls, our hearts, our minds, that we would know an experience of your kindness that would transform us, that we would be able to let down our guard, to welcome your kindness in, to understand how you view us, and then in turn to view others with that same kindness. 
help us as people, as individuals, as families, as churches to display the truth that your loving kindness endures forever. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.